you're going along with us in your 40-day guide that we provided for you and your family uh, as you study that guide. And you're going to find out a lot about giving that you didn't know. You'll also find out a lot about what the Lord does in response to our giving that you may not have known. Uh, I said just a few moments ago I was going to give you a little word of advice about giving. Uh, these jugs up here, this represents an offering. Uh, we did not budget this year for... Uh, to, to have the services at the Civic Complex on Easter Sunday. It wasn't on our screen then. So for us to budget for this, we have to have offerings for that. It's much like when we have a revival, we have an evangelist come in, we give him a love offering. Uh, we took up a love offering a couple of years ago, Brother Charles, uh, to help those folks in Coselli, Kenya have a well. I check Brother Charles every time I see him and ask him, is the water still flowing? He assures me the water is still flowing. And we're ready to get the gospel flowing on that site and plant a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church on that site where they can come and get spiritual water as well as physical water. Uh, but uh, that was an offering. Uh, 10%, the tithe, goes to the storehouse. That's the church. In Jesus' day, it was the temple. And the tithe comes to the storehouse. You say, well, what do you do with it? Well, we do what you voted to do with it. Uh, you have voted for us to send 14%. Uh, we more than tithe off of what you bring to the storehouse. 14% of everything that you bring goes right back into the kingdom work. It goes overseas. Some of it stays here in this country. Uh, some of it goes to uh, educate people. Some of it goes to send missionaries. Uh, so that's the tithe. It comes to the storehouse, and you vote every year about how to spend the budget. Uh, we don't set the budget arbitrarily. You have a vote on that. And then there's almsgiving. Now, a lot of people get concerned. An offering is something you give to support something over and above the tithe. My gifts to Anza Imani uh, were over and above my tithe. My gifts to the children's home, over and above my tithe. Uh, my gifts to New Orleans Seminary, I serve as a trustee. Mary serves as a trustee at Sanford University. Our gifts there, over and above our tithe. Our tithe comes to the Lord's house. Those are offerings. Now, when Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, that was not the tithe. The tithe is 10%. That was not even an offering because you need to know what you're doing in an offering. That was almsgiving, when you help poor people. In other words, when Jesus said, uh, let not your right hand know what your left hand does, if somebody comes up to you and they say, I haven't had anything to eat today, what are you supposed to do? Uh, don't dig in your pocket and hand them a $10 bill or a $20 bill or a $100 bill. Take them and get them something to eat. Uh, the worst thing you can do when somebody comes up to you and says, I need $20 or I need $10, they probably will use it on something you don't want it to be used on. You can never go wrong if you buy them food and give them food. I make that a practice every now and then. Uh, we have people come by the church, and uh, we had a lady last year whose son was killed overseas. That was her story. I had no way of verifying that, but she told me her son had been killed overseas in the military, and in her grief, she had just hit the road. And she said, I'm trying to get back to my home in Ohio, and I hadn't had anything to eat. But we carried her right next door and bought her some food. We filled her car up with gas and sent her on the road. That was an almsgiving. God sent her to me, and I provided for her. And I didn't claim her on my income tax. I didn't turn her in on my giving to the church. That's almsgiving. That's don't let your right hand know what your left hand does. That's the three kinds of giving. The tithe goes to the storehouse. An offering is over and above the tithe. And then almsgiving is helping the poor or helping others in Jesus' name. Well, those are the ways we give. We'll learn more about the tithe in a couple of weeks. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to 1 Timothy 
uh, chapter 6, reading verses 9 and 10 this morning from my new Holman Christian Standard Bible. Uh, this is the large print. Those of you who are going to be studying with me on Wednesday night, I have my super giant print in now. I got it from uh, Daryl up at the sanctuary. He ordered it for me. And so now I have a super giant print Holman Christian Standard. Let me tell you one thing I found that I love. Uh, in the New Testament, whenever it talks about Jesus in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it always capitalizes the pronouns. Now you say, well, you've been doing that in, in your outline in the, in the bulletin for years. That's right. I did that. The NIV didn't do that. I did that. Brother Mike did that. I'm so thankful that the folks at Holman Christian Standard and I believe that, that whenever Jesus is talking about himself or anyone else is talking to Jesus, it ought to be capitalized for majesty purposes. Amen. I'm thankful for that. So I, I'm falling more and more in love with HCSB as I go along. And this, by the way, I don't have any stock in Lifeway. I don't get any money for plugging their Bible. Uh, but I love that part of the HCSB. Well, let's stand together as a show of respect for the reading of God's word. And this is the word of the living God from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Now, I want you to notice, uh, I had this sermon ready last week, and I got up last Sunday, and I was sick and couldn't come, and so I called the next man on the flow chart, who's Brother Don, and I didn't call him. I had Mary call him. I was too sick to call him. Uh, I thought I was going to die, and then I thought I was too sick to die. I thought I'd have to get better to die, and I knew y'all didn't want to be around me as I was sick, so Mary called Brother Don, and Brother Don turned around, uh, and, and if you see the flow chart, here's Brother Mike, and right under Brother Mike is Brother Don, and right under Brother Don's all the other staff members. Well, Brother Don picks up the phone, calls Brother Paul, and said, Brother Paul, Brother Mike's out today. I need you to preach. And I want you to know, Don, you could have preached this sermon uh, just as good as I could have, or Paul could have preached it, but the, they said, no, they're not going to do that. So this is not a leftover sermon. I just want you to know that, all right? Don't just feel, Brother Mike heated that old sermon up. No, I never got to preach it. It wasn't preached. And, uh, uh, you know, no, no song ever makes the top ten if it's not played more than one time, all right? So I didn't get to preach this, but uh, it's still as true as it was last Sunday. I'm just going to get to share it with you this Sunday. But I think this verse in Timothy is the most misquoted verse in the Bible. When I was growing up, people would tell me that money is the root of all evil. I heard that over and over again. There's a black preacher named Reverend Ike, and he misquoted the scripture. He said, the lack of money is the root of all evil. And uh, uh, some people get us confused, Brother Mike and Reverend Ike. I don't understand how that happens, but uh, uh, he said the lack of money is root of all. But the Bible does not say money is root of all evil. That's why the title of the message is money is not, in big letters underlined, uh, the root of all evil. The love of money, the desire for money is the root of all kinds of evil, the Apostle Paul says. We need to look at this. I love what Adrian Rogers said. He said, if you're a Christian, the economy may change your standard of living, but it cannot change your standard of life. Aren't you glad that's true? Uh, you don't have to have a lot of money in your pocket to enjoy being saved. You don't have to have a big bank account. You don't have to have uh, everything paid for it to enjoy being saved. Uh, the economy may change your standard of living, but it can never stand, change your standard of life. We're going to look at two things this morning. First of all, we're going to look at what Jesus did with money. And first of all, Jesus did teach that money can become an idol. In the Sermon on the Mount, his very first sermon, he said, 
You cannot be slaves of God and of money. Uh, if you look at your dollar bill, it says on your dollar bill, in God we trust. I'm thankful it says, in God we trust. Amen. I'm thankful that the atheists hadn't got to the point where they can get God off the money yet. Now, they're going to work on it. They're not done yet. I'm just about tired of backing up to atheists. I'm just about tired of backing up to folks who want to push homosexuality as an acceptable lifestyle. I backed up just about as far as I can go, folks. And I'm not mad at anybody but the devil, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to stand on biblical morality, and I'm going to preach the truth as long as I've got a breath in my body. And if they put me in jail for preaching the truth, I'll preach the truth in jail. And if they put me in solitary confinement, I'll preach the truth to myself in solitary confinement. Because this is the Word of God. It does not change. We don't need to change uh, our, our world uh, to adapt to sinful things. But Jesus did say that money can become an idol. And, and, and I hope you're not serving money. Uh, we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Jesus also taught that money can be used for good things. Uh, one, day a la- one night a lady came in. Jesus was having supper. Nobody had anointed him. This lady came in, and she broke open an alabaster box of ointment. And as she broke open that alabaster box of ointment, it was so rich that that smell just permeated the entire room. And she came and poured that entire, the entire contents of that very precious, savory-smelling uh, liquid, that lotion on Jesus' body, And notice what Jesus said about it. They started criticizing her for it. Notice what he said. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she has prepared me. There's that capital M. For, uh, that I talked about there is at Capitol Hill, for burial, I assure you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. This woman poured out something on Jesus that was worth in some Bible translations, it says 300 denarii. Do you know what a denarii was? A denarii was about a month's salary. 300 months' salary. I would say that was her most precious possession. There was nothing else she had in life that was more precious than that. She may have been saving that to to have somebody anoint her own body when she died, or maybe somebody in her family. But when the Holy Spirit told her, go to this house and anoint the body of Jesus there at that banquet, she did what the Holy Spirit told her to do. And when she started being criticized, Jesus said, she has done a noble thing for me. And notice he said that wherever the gospel is preached, and as long as the gospel is preached, this story will be told in her memory and her honor because she used her money in a way that gave God the glory and prepared Jesus for his death on the cross. But Jesus also watched people give money in the temple. The Bible says in Mark 12, sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums, and a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, I assure you, this poor widow has put in more than all those giving to the temple treasury, for they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she possessed, all she had to live on. I want to tell you how precious this was. Jesus was in the outer court. He was in what was called the court of the Gentiles because women could not come into the the court of where the men of Israel were. You had to be a man. 
You had to be an Israelite. You had to be 12 years of age and have passed your bar mitzvah you, to get into the, the holy place. And only the men were allowed to go. This was in the outer court, and this is where the women would come in the temple. And Jesus said as they walked down, and, and I don't know if there was a center aisle there or not, but they had a treasury, a big treasury box. And the people would come in. In those days, they didn't pass the plate. You walked down in front of everybody, and you dropped your offering into the treasury box. And people would see you doing it. And some of these men came in and they, they would reach into their pocket and they'd pull out their, their little bag of money and they would take the money and it'd be silver and gold, big coins, and they would hold it up and they'd drop it into the temple treasury. And everybody that was sitting there would ooh and ah how much money was going into the temple treasury. And those people did not impress Jesus. But I tell you who impressed Jesus, there was a little widow that came in and she took the two smallest coins ever printed, ever minted in the Roman Empire. Two small coins. Sometimes we call them the widow's mite. Sometimes they're called pence. They were not really worth a penny. And she dropped in two of them. And notice what Jesus did. First of all, he called his disciples. He said, hey, y'all need to see this. And then he made an announcement that shocked everybody that heard it. He said, this woman has put more into the temple treasury than all these other folks put together. You can just hear them gasp. Well, Lord, what are you talking about? She just put in two little coins, tiny little coins. And Jesus said, oh, but what you don't see is she put in everything she had. She is depending on God to provide for her because she just gave to God everything she had. Now, ladies, I want y'all to see this. Who did Jesus commend for their giving? Did he commend the disciples? Not here. Did he com commend these people putting in gold and silver by the handfuls? No, he didn't. He said they gave out of their great wealth. He said this woman gave out of her poverty. He said the woman that broke that alabaster box of ointment on him had done a noble thing for him. And he said, as long as the gospel is preached and wherever it's preached, she'll be remembered for what she's done. Ladies were pointed out by Jesus as a standard of givers. They did a noble work. They gave all they had. You know what he said about the scribes and Pharisees? He said, they tithe on their wives' herb garden. They come to the temple with little packets of herbs and they say well this is out of my my wife's garden and, and he said and they should have done that they should have brought their tithes into the storehouse but he says they've left undone the weightier matters of the law now that was Jesus and money what about men and money in the Bible well let's look at a, three examples first of all let's look at Judas Judas was one of the ones leading the cries against the woman who broke that precious box then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was put in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Judas was fixing to commit the greatest betrayal in human history. And he had the gall to criticize a woman who came in and put something very precious on Jesus' body. It's obvious Judas loved money, and he wanted money. And then there was the rich man. Jesus is a wonderful storyteller. He tells all kinds of stories in Luke's gospel. 
But he told this story about a man. One year he looked out in his fields, and his fields were bringing in bumper crops. And he said, what am I going to do? I don't have enough place to put my stuff. I don't have enough place to store my crops. What am I going to do? He said, oh, I know what I'll do. I'm going to tear down all these old little barns, and I'm going to build big new barns, and I'm going to fill those barns up. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. He had all those barns filled overflowing. And he said this, said, soul, take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry, for thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Here's what God said. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You know, when I'm preaching on stewardship, it never fails to happen. And somebody will come to one of these services today. Maybe this service, they may have been here at 8 o'clock, they may be going to be here at 1045. And they've never heard me preach before. And so they come in, and they listen to this sermon, and they saw the video, and they go and they get in their car and start to go home. You know what they're going to say? Every time I hear that preacher, all he's talking about is money. Well, you know, if you only came that one time, you know, come back. Well, don't come back two weeks because I'm going to preach on tithe, and then you really better wait until a little later on in the year to come because this is a... This is a stewardship series, but I do, I do assure you, and if you remember the very first sermon in this series, I said, if God doesn't have your heart, he doesn't want your money. But if God has your heart, he ought to have your money. You ought not have the preacher stand up here week after week, and I'm not going to do this 52 weeks a year because I don't need to. You're going to hear what God's saying, and God's going to bless you for doing it. But you know what this man loved? He loved money. And he was prepared for the future, but he wasn't prepared for death. He said, man, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to go on a carnival cruise. <laughs> I've been on two of them. I think my first and my last, those are the first and last cruise I'm going to take with carnival after watching what happened this week. But you know what amazes me? What is the most precious thing I possess? You say, oh, your wife. Well, I don't possess my wife. Your house. Huh. Who's going to live in that house in 25 years? Not me. Won't be able to. Barely able to get in it now sometimes. Some of you wait until you get to your 60s, you'll understand what I'm talking about. What's the most precious thing I own? My soul. Really, that's the only thing I've got. You see, everything, all this stuff is just trappings. You know, my car, my clothes, my house, my bank account. I can't take that to heaven. The only thing I've got is my soul. Can I trust the eternal keeping of my soul to Jesus Christ? You know, Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for something? Now listen to me. And don't holler, oh me, when I say this. I've always wondered why Christians think, I can trust Jesus with my soul. Most precious thing I have in this world is my soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so I'm going to give Jesus my soul for all eternity. But he better not want 10% of my money. You see how ridiculous and how ludicrous that is? Folks, who gave you the money to start with? It was God's. It'll be God's when you're gone. You need to be a pipeline. Let it flow through you. You'll enjoy life a whole lot more, and God will bless you a whole lot more. Rich man said, you fool. Then notice the last one, the Samaritan. Now, this is a man who knew what to do with money. 
The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. This was a Samaritan. He was hated by the Jews. And Jesus was telling this story to a Jewish lawyer. And he said, this Samaritan took two denarii, a two months salary and said to the innkeeper, take this. And when I come back, I'll pay you whatever you spend on this man. He gave him a blank check. You know what you can do with money? You can use money or you can lose money. That's what you can do with money. You either use it or you lose it. And I got news for it. One day you're going to lose it all. An old preacher said, I never have seen a U-Haul following a hearse. I've never seen an armored car following a hearse. I heard about a fellow that died. And he wanted to be buried in the most precious thing in the world to him. He had a Corvette sports car. And sure enough, the man died. And they buried him in his Corvette sports car. And I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. There's a corpse behind the wheel of a Corvette. And someday, somebody's liable to go up there and dig that thing up and throw him back in the hole and take his car. You see, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Very simply, my money and my God, first of all, give to God the first 10% minimum. I want to promise you this. Brian Cluth calls this God's crazy math. But you give God 10%, and then you say, God, how do you want me to use the other 90%? And I promise you this, Brian Clue says it, Ron Blue said it, Larry Burkett says it, Dave Ramsey says it, you'll do more on the 90% with God's blessings than you would on 100% with God's cursings. Give God first your heart, then give him the first 10% of your money. Pray for God's guidance on the remainder. Did you read about the lady this week whose husband's whose first husband, her husband started the Jack in the Box restaurant and he died? And she was in such grief over his death that she started gambling away his fortune and lost every penny of it and now owes $2 million in fines and she is destitute. What did she do with it? She threw it away, gambling. And they talked about how much she lost and it literally would make you sick how much money she lost every minute since her husband died. You say, that's awful foolish. It sure is. But what are you doing with your? Because she's going to have to give an account to God of what she did with what she had, just like you and I are going to give an account to God for what we had. Pray for God's guidance on the remainder. Don't become a slave to money or possessions. Trust Christ, not creditors. This is a true story. Man's wife died, had a lot of money. He became a hermit. Rarely ever left his house. Family didn't hear from him, hadn't heard from him in months. He didn't want them coming by. They weren't invited to his house. Finally, after a long time, they called the police and they said, we don't know what's going on. We've called and called. The phone's been disconnected. We knocked on the door. He doesn't come to the door. We don't know what's going on. Bank started contacting his relatives saying, count's overdrawn. What's going on? They went to the man's house. Police knocked on the door. Nobody answered. They broke in the door. 
there was one path through the house. That path went to his chair, and a path from his chair went to the bathroom, and that was the only path in the house. You say, what was in the house? Packages. After his wife died, he became so compulsive, obsessive compulsive, that whenever he would see something on television, he would order it. And the path was through boxes upon boxes upon boxes of stuff he had bought and never opened. He literally died in a house full of possessions that he did not use. When God saved you, he wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell in you. Let the Holy Spirit be your financial advisor. Trust the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says, I want to tell you, I didn't mention this a while ago. I talked about tithing and talked about offerings and talked about what we'd call benevolence giving. But I didn't tell you about spiritual giving. Do you know? That God can give through you things that you don't even know you have. You say, how in the world is that going to happen? Well, test him and try him. He'll do it. That's what you call supernatural giving. You say, how can you get there? Well, you have to be right with God. You have to be willing to say, God, I, you know, I'm willing to give all I've got. I want to be like that poor widow. I'll put it all in. That's what you want me to do. I know you'll take care of me. God will provide for you super abundantly. But you can't love things. You can't love money more than you love God. You see, it's not the amount of the check you write, according to Jesus. It's what the balance is after that check's written. God wants to bless you. In fact, in two weeks, I'm going to preach a message called Prove the Tithe. It's the only place in the Bible that I know of where God says, try me, test me, prove me in this. I hope we'll test God. I hope we'll bring the tithe to the storehouse and put him to the test about pouring out the blessings. But remember, you first give your heart, and after your heart, then... You give your possessions. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words about money today. Lord, help us to remember that money is a tool. It's not bad or good. It's really indifferent. It's how we use the money that you give us. Father, if there are people here today who are misusing their money, if they're spending their money on things that will hurt them, alcohol, drugs, pornography, Lord, you know who they are. And Lord, they can be your children and still have those things in their lives that don't honor you. Lord, I pray today you'd convict them of that. Father, for those of us who are trusting you, Father, I pray you'd just take us to the next level. Father, you've blessed us so many times. and Father, we can never outgive you. Father, help us to live in the light of your blessings to us. Lord, I pray for those who would learn to give supernaturally, beyond their capacity to give that as they're faithful in bringing the tithes and offerings uh, to your kingdom's work, 
and giving alms gifts to those who need it. That, Lord, out of your great storehouse in heaven, you just pour out a blessing, and they'd be forced to pour it out on others, and pour it out on the church, pour it out on needs in the community, wherever you'd have it go. Not for my glory, Lord, not for the glory of the church, but for your glory. And now, Father, I pray today that we would not love money more than we love the Master. That we would not love coins more than we love Christ. That we'd be dedicated to him and his kingdom's work until he comes for us or calls us home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.